0: Hello everybody, I am Jules Ackmunt and you're listening to the Introducing Indie Authors podcast where we'll be talking to indie authors from all over the world and chat about book releases, writerly things and the publishing process. Welcome back to Introducing Indie Authors. I had two more episodes planned for last year which had to be rescheduled time and again due to plague non-plague induced reasons. But I'm back now and I have talks scheduled with lovely people and I hope all of you have had a good start into your new year. In today's episode our guest is Dawn Hosmer. She is an indie author from Ohio who loves true crime, reading, colouring, board games, travelling and the beach. Dawn has a passion for helping others and spent her career in social work in a variety of positions. We will be talking about her writing journey, one of her books, Bits and Pieces, and how adjusting our views when faced with hardship is her idea of freedom. Hello Dawn, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I am fine-ish in regards (laughs) of the plague. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: good. I've been locked in my house since I think March, so, so far, knock on wood, I'm good as well. (laughs)
0: So we're here because I read your book, Bits and Pieces, oh, thank and you. we scheduled this call about three times before it finally happened. And we will start with um, the usual first question, and that's when did you begin your writing journey?
1: Officially, i writing adult novels. I began about 14 years ago. I was inspired by a real-life event that impacted me in... A really profound way. And it started my journey into novel writing. Um, the first novel I actually wrote, and the one that's closest to my heart is The End of Echoes. Um, but the first one I published was Bits and Pieces. Um, so it's been, I think,
0: about 14 years now. How does your writing process work? Um, there's this whole debate about plotting, pantsing and stuff going on. Where would you fall on the scale? I am
1: 100% a pantser. Um, I usually get struck by an idea that usually stems from the question, what if? Um, so what if something happened? Um, like let's take the end of Echoes, for instance, what if my child were abducted, how would I feel? Um, so it usually starts with that, and I really don't even make any notes before I start writing. I just sit down and write and see where the characters take me and the story takes me. So it's basically a hot mess.
0: <laughs> I, I uh, love it, because I, I used to write like that, and it didn't work for me. So um, ever since I became serious about it, I've been a plotter now. And I'm always impressed by people actually who who do this, who pants it, and who are able to finish a book. It's amazing.
1: I'm envious of plotters because I'm like, how much easier would this be if I knew where (laughs) this book was going? Um, You you mentioned reading bits and pieces, and um, here's a perfect example of one of the joys of panting, plus one of the downfalls. Um, The big twist in bits and pieces I did not know was coming until I wrote it on the page, which was kind of cool because I got to experience the same shock that the reader did. But on the other hand, I sat back and I'm like, oh no, I have to change and fix so much because of this. Like (laughs) if I had known this from the beginning, that would have been so helpful. So yeah, it can be nice, (laughs) but it's also a little chaotic.
0: Interestingly, um, because you said it's the question, what if, and mm-hmm. we had somebody say this before in one of these interviews, shout out to Francine. Francine Garson? Yes. <laughs> Yay!
1: Yes, I love Francine.
0: Yeah, and um, she was talking about writing groups, and I was wondering, do you have any writing groups that you're in? Do you work with critic partners, better readers, anything like that? Um,
1: well right before the pandemic hit, um, a group of us that had met on Twitter actually started a writing group because we realized there were a lot of us in the central Ohio area so we had just started meeting um, and then the everything hit. Um, so we haven't been able to meet anymore but I I do, I've made some really good friendships through Twitter and um, we often serve as beta readers for each other or advanced reader copy um, readers. I fully believe and support the process of having, you know, an alpha reader who is one of my good friends. Um, She always reads everything I write And gives me brutal, honest feedback. My husband does that as well for me. And sometimes I ask them to read as I'm writing to say, you know, just so I can bounce ideas off of them and kind of talk out loud about where I think it's going. And then I always utilize beta readers as well. Once I have that first draft in a more solid form. But that's really about my process. Since I'm with a small publisher, they do um, have all of my work professionally edited as well, which is extremely helpful because it's amazing to me, no matter how many sets of eyes you have on your work, there's still going to be mistakes. (laughs) And um, so I'm thankful for professional editing. It truly is never ending. And even in my latest release, somewhere in between, I had alpha readers, beta readers, a professional editor. And I've had a couple of people reach out to me and say, I'm not sure that you realize this, but there's a mistake in there. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how? (laughs) And I always read my own work. I have the computer read it to me several times. I read it out loud several times. It's amazing how things can still be missed. But I, I notice the same in traditionally published books as well. So I don't think it's just an indie or smaller publishing house issue. I, I notice it in traditionally published books too. So
0: we're not alone. And I think with traditionally published, it gets worse. Yes. At least the impression I got with the last couple books I bought that were traditionally published and I was like, don't you have editors anymore?
1: I know. My mom, because when I first published Bits and Pieces, there were a couple of errors that somebody pointed out. And she got so defensive on my behalf. So now whenever she reads traditionally published books, she makes a list of all the mistakes she finds to show me and say, I just want you to feel better about things. But look at all these mistakes I found
0: like, this is so cute. Thanks to all the moms. Moms, save us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In your book, Bits and Pieces, we are introduced to a protagonist who has a unique gift or perhaps a curse, and she can sense and relive other people's memories. Um, how did you come up with the idea for that?
1: Let me start by saying all of my writing is inspired by real-life events. And... Um. So, the idea of the woman having the special gift actually came from my husband. Um, he was like, "Well, wouldn't it be kind of cool if she could pick up pieces of other people through touch?" So he actually sparked the idea in me. And at first, I was like, "I don't know if I can do this." Like, <laughs> it sounded like a cool idea, but I, it was kind of out side of my realm of what I read and what I thought I could write. But coupled with that, I knew that part of the story I wanted to tell was about the murdered and missing women. And that is because my son was a freshman in college and a sophomore at his college, a young woman went missing and her body was not found for about a month And it turned out that the killer was responsible for several other murders and rapes in the area. And I was, of course, during all of that, glued to the TV because, you know, my son was there. He was several states away from me. And I worried. So I wanted to couple those two storylines together with the woman with the special gift and The Missing and Murdered Women, and I just sat down and started writing, and it worked. It um, I, it worked, <laughs> <laughs> but I fell in love with the idea of her being able to do that, because I think for all of us, there's some truth in that concept that our interactions and our dealings with other people change us, either for the good or the bad, and while it may not be as fantastical as it happened with Tessa, people do still have an impact on us and their stories intertwine with ours and it changes us. And so I felt like this was a good way to kind of make that point without coming across preachy or um, like there was a moral or lesson to be learned because we do change as a result
0: of other people. I would definitely sign that. I love the idea of like putting it that way to like make it a little fantastical but still extremely relatable. I really like the book. I have to say that.
1: I wanted to bring like some of my past experience into the book as well. Um, I, I spent my career in social work and have had the privilege and honor to work with a lot of people in a lot of different situations over the years whose stories have had such an impact on me and made me look at the world in a different way. So I wanted, even though there were these supernatural elements to it, I wanted her to be able to be someone that was very relatable with the emotions that she felt and the struggles in her family relationships and You know, more so you and I um, talked a little bit. I have an autoimmune disease that often feels like a curse because I had to quit working several years ago. It affects my interpersonal relationships, my life, my energy, but there's also been blessings in that. And so in some ways, like with Tessa, it's been a gift and a curse. I think we all can relate in some ways to that because no matter how bad things are and how dark it seems, there is always good there as well. Sometimes that good's hard to see, but it is there. And so I think like following Tessa on her journey is she learned to see that, okay, this really stinks that I have this quote gift And it's a burden, but it was also used for good. And I think that if we can all reframe our thinking a little bit in our own lives to be able to take those things that are burdensome and look for the blessing in them, that's freedom to me.
0: Bits and pieces and um, your other books as well are published with Gestalt Media. Can you tell me a bit about how you found them? because I get really overwhelmed by the amount of indie publishers out there. And I also don't really, I, I think I'm not the only person who has big issues finding them at all in a way.
1: Yes, and it, it was quite a journey. Um, like I said, the first book I wrote was The End of Echoes and I queried for many years, I think probably three years, and got hundreds of rejections with the end of echoes and I felt very defeated and reached out to one of my favorite authors so shout out to Jodi Picoult whose writing is amazing but she's also so approachable even though she's written so many books and I was just at the end of my rope and I reached out to her and said you know what do I do like I feel like this book is good. I've had lots of readers. It's in the best shape it can get in. How do I break into publishing? And she said, well, if you want to make a career out of this, you need to keep writing, regardless of those rejections. Just keep writing. Write the next book. And something she said that really stuck with me, I mean, she has... What 30 books published, I think. Several have been made into movies. And she said, My her first book was never published. Still to this day, it has never been published. And that really helped me because I really respect and admire her. And I thought, well, if her first book didn't ever get published, maybe that's just the way it is. So I I started writing bits and pieces. And I think part of why I started writing is because of that advice, like, just keep working on the next thing. I think before I was waiting for something big to happen before I'd continue on that journey. Um, But, but she convinced me to just go ahead and write the next book. Well, I did. And I queried and tried to find an agent and a publisher. And again, got so many rejections. And it had gotten to the point where it was so overwhelming and depressing that I could not write because I'm like, why, you know, I have a chronic illness at that time I worked, I'm a mom, like, why am I spending what little energy I have on something that's not going to serve my life (laughs) in a positive way? And I just could not write because, you know, I, each of these rejections cut into my soul (laughs) and took a big chunk out then a friend of mine convinced me to join Twitter, which I kicked and screamed and threw a fit about. I did not want to join Twitter. I did not want more social media. But she's like, just try it. You know, you can follow agents and you can follow publishers. And you know, it the writing community is wonderful. And finally I relented. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll try it for a year. Well, within, I think, a month of me joining Twitter, they did pitch contests, and for people that aren't familiar with what a pitch contest is, it's, they have events several times a year where you pitch your book to publishers and agents through a tweet, so 280 characters or less, and you pitch your book. Let me tell you, that was not easy to get a summary into 280 characters, but through those pitch events, that's actually how I found my first publisher, which published Bits and Pieces. I had more interest in those two pitch events from publishers and editors, or publishers and agents, than I'd had in the 10 years prior, so that's something I highly recommend. If you have any desire to work with a publisher, to participate in those pitch events, because it it's what helped me find my first publisher. Now, my first publisher, they had some staffing changes and were going through some restructuring. So I ended up not staying with them and then republishing um, Bits and Pieces along with my other books under Gestalt. And with Gestalt, I had become friends via Twitter with Jason Stokes, who is the founder and owner of Gestalt. And when I um, joined with them, his goal had always been to branch out and represent authors, but he hadn't done it yet. So... I reached out to him and I'm like, look, I know you want to take on some clients for publish publishing. How about me as being your first one? And we talked through it and he said yes. And we got bits and pieces published and we got all the others out in I think a year and a half's time. So it was really such a blessing. And you know, after he took me on as a a client, then. You know, he, of course, expanded because I think the big thing holding him back was just not knowing all the process and the cr- contract details and all of that. But once we got all that set up, he was able to take on additional clients.
0: So you kind of helped him as well. That's, that's I, awesome. I, I hope he feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: With Bits and Pieces, there was a larger publisher that... Liked my work, requested a fool. I sent it, sent or an agency, I'm sorry, for a literary agent. I sent them a fool. The agent read the entire book in like two days, came back, said, I loved it, but I want you to remove the big twist at the end of the book and rewrite and resubmit without that big twist. At the same time, I had the offer from the small publisher, And I really was conflicted about what to do because, you know, my dream was to be traditionally published. This was a huge agency. I thought, you know, this could be a wonderful thing for my career. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, no, that twist, no, (laughs) like it it needs to be there. I could not make myself give up that much control of my work just because she did not like that twist. So I decided to go with the small publishing house and I know it was the right decision because like I had said, it it had probably been two years since I had written. But once I signed with that small publisher, it was like I could finally exhale and I could write again. So to me that says okay that was the right step for you at that time cuz i i got my words back i did my ability to get stories on the page so i i really feel like it was the right decision for me and you know i i think that there's no one valid way to publish and i think for a long time i held on to well i needed the validity to be traditionally published or what have you, but that's not the case anymore. Maybe 20 years ago, that was the case. But now, I mean, there's quality work through all types of publishing. And I just, for me personally, I wanted a team of people to work with because I I don't want to do it all on my own. And I, I respect those people that can, take on the entirety of self-publishing, I'm not one of those people. Or at least I wasn't when I needed to get my work out there. Maybe someday I'll self-publish some things, but I like having a team and somebody to help me find the cover designer and help me deal with the editing and help me deal with the marketing. It's
0: just, I I felt like I needed that at that time. Concerning the marketing, um, that's something that I've talked to many people about already who, who were on this podcast because it seems to be one of these things that you either love or really, really hate. I'm the latter. I really mm-hmm. hate it. I can't do it. I'm shitty at marketing. That's the one thing about self-publishing that I really dread the marketing part. <laughs> what exactly um, does your publisher help you with in, in that regard? Like, what do they do?
1: Not as much as I'd like But some of the things, they're always willing to try things to see if they work. And they've helped me run some ads through different platforms, which have been successful. They've participated, you know, again, pre-COVID in events where they go to book fairs and they can take all of their author's work and and promote and sell face-to-face, which that's always helpful when they can do that. They've helped in that regard, but a lot of the day to day keeping up on social media platforms and what have you, that's fallen to me. And, you know, it's overwhelming, but <laughs> I feel guilty when I don't do the marketing that I need to. And I, it, what I've really found for me to work the best is just being active like on Twitter and interacting with people and forming relationships and also on Facebook. Like I would say the majority of my readers have come from Twitter and Facebook. I recently joined TikTok, which I was dreading as well. So, (laughs) But there's a huge, they call it book talk, and um, there's a huge group of authors on TikTok and readers on TikTok that do book reviews. And so I I guess for me, it's constantly stepping out of my comfort zone and saying, okay, you don't want to do this, but do you want to sell books? If you want to sell books, (laughs) then you need to do this. If you want to get your words out there and frankly, interact with some very cool people, like just do it, step out of your comfort zone and do it but it's daunting. It's
0: daunting. What is next on your writing journey?
1: Um, Well, (laughs) I am currently writing a sequel to bits and pieces and that was never my intention. When I, when I wrote it, I, I'm not a big reader of series and I never intended to write a series, but, I've had several reader, lots of readers say, okay, I need more of this story. So I committed myself to do it. With 2020 being all it was, you know, with COVID and then just life, my creativity was pretty much zapped. Um, so I have been working on the sequel for almost a year now, and I'm only about a third of the way finished with The Rough Draft. Because, yeah, when the real world's so heavy, it's hard for me to lose myself in writing fiction when the world seems like fiction right now. So my goal is to get that finished and hopefully released May or June of 2021. That's my goal. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. And I even asked my publisher for a deadline. I'm like, look, can you give me a deadline on this? Because I thought maybe that would, I work better under pressure, or so I thought. So I asked for a deadline, which he gave me till the end of this month. (laughs) So what I've learned about myself is that, no, a deadline really doesn't help. (laughs) So now I'm hoping he'll rescind that deadline and say, of course you can have an extension. (laughs) <laughs> because, yeah, it's I've been writing again every day, which has been nice. Um, that hadn't happened for quite a while. Like I'd write maybe two days in a row and then not write for a month. So finally, I'm writing again every day and just forcing myself to sit down and, and do the work and see what happens. Because the first draft with bits and pieces, I think I wrote that entire first draft and like 30 days or less and I'm not saying 30 consecutive days of writing but 30 writing days is all it took for that first draft so and typically you know like uh for somewhere in between my latest um novel release I think it took me three months to write the first draft so for this to be taking so long is killing me cuz i'm like no this isn't how it works for you <laughs> so i'm trying to give myself a little grace given covid and having people in my house all the time and schedules being all messed up i'm trying to cut myself some slack and say it's okay it's not a usual year um you'll get it done when it gets done so
0: it's like the weirdest year so for- it is. I think we we are all kind of struggling with it, in a way.
1: But it we're getting better. We're going to get better. <laughs> it's going so... to be fine.
0: <laughs> One further thing, because I forgot that early on. The thing is, I didn't actually read bits and pieces, but I listened to it. Oh, okay. And I was wondering where you got into contact with people who actually do audiobooks.
1: I am not sure how this works in different countries, okay? But what the process was here is Amazon actually operates Audible, and they have a website, acx.com, and you can go on there and put your project up. You give a little script that they can practice with, and you can actually find your narrators through there. And some will... Some will just agree to a royalty split where you pay nothing up front. They just get paid as the book sells. Some will charge like a lower rate and then do a royalty split with you. So that's that's always an option as well. If you have a little bit of money, you can sink into it and maybe have a wider choice of who you can choose for narration. You can do that, but um, all of my books are available through Audible as well as in ebook and paperback. And And I just feel like that's important because I know several people that whether it's because of anxiety or other issues, they can't sit down and read a book, but they want to be able to read the book. So I feel like audio is a good choice for that. So I try to make all my books available through audio as well and and that like I said through ACX bits and pieces was actually a royalty share agreement the person that recorded that for me so it cost me nothing out of pocket end of echoes I did pay some out of pocket for that and connected with that narrator through Twitter Marnie Young she did an amazing job on the end of echoes And then somewhere in between, I was able, again, to go back and do royalty share. Because the thing I found is it is very, very expensive to pay out of pocket for a narrator. Unless you have a huge following of readers, like if you're paying out of pocket, it's going to be near impossible to earn that money back. So I think ACX really gives the best option for you to be able to get your workout
0: audio-wise and not have to spend a lot of money. I love the idea of ACX, and I looked into it a while ago. And this might be interesting for people who listen to us internationally, because ACX is, as far as I know, you can do it in the UK. That works. You can do it in the US. That also works. Not sure about I think Canada works as well, at least that. But fun fact the rest of mainland Europe, we're still screwed. Oh. I think they are trying to get this established as well, but up to this date ACX is not available for mainland Europe, which is a bit sad. Because I would be so happy because I love audiobooks. It's like I'm as I said, I'm commuting a lot and I have a job that requires me staring at a screen for a long time every day and um so a lot of the time I'm on the commute I just feel like I I need to rest my eyes and I can't really read exactly during that time so I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and stuff like that and I I find it really really cool when when people have the option to also, do audiobooks for indie published books yeah I, I I love how like everyone is like so supportive of everyone else in this indie book community. it's such a such a nice thing to see and
1: i I feel like it's that's what it's about. Um, and I'm not saying when you form connections and friendships with people, you want to support them, and I'm so appreciative of the people that I've met you know, through Twitter that have given my words a try and I want to do the same for them. Um, So even when it's stepping outside of my own genre that I would like to read, I feel like it's just expanded my horizon so much um, to read different genres and, and get to experience other people's worlds that they've created. I, I really feel like you have to be willing to give what you want to receive in life and in reading and selling books. I, I, I feel like it all circles back around. So
0: I think this is an excellent ending for this episode because this is so true.
1: <laughs>
0: Thanks so, so much
1: for having me on.
0: And Thanks. I'm very, very happy this worked and we got to do this despite the weird times and the weird time zones and everything else thank you so much thank you and um have a covid free rest of 2021 you too please (laughs) this was introducing indie authors if you enjoyed today's episode please spread the word about the podcast it's available on several platforms now including spotify anchor fm google podcasts and overcast If you have feedback of any kind, feel free to drop me a message on Twitter. I'm Jules Agmond, see you next time. Until then, stay safe and healthy.